Engaging Leader, episode 186, four tips from brain science to boost attention, learning, and action from your workforce, featuring Jamie Barnes. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at workforcecommunication.com. Leadership inspired trust, passion, and action. Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Yeah, I think really it just boils down to telling a compelling story, keep it simple. Frame it so it piques the interest of employees and it creates a we. Welcome to the show, Engagers. That's a nugget of wisdom from my colleague, Jamie Barnes. Talking about how to make sure you are planning and crafting communications that actually catch the attention of employees and help them remember and take action on the content. If you are a leader or a communicator at a large large organization, You know that these days, with so many things competing for people's attention, it can be a struggle to get them to pay enough attention to your important communications, like for change initiatives. If you go to the trouble of providing a video, delivering a presentation, creating digital signage or posters, web content, newsletters, whatever the communication tactics you use, how do you get them to... Read it, watch it, take the information or messages to heart, remember them, and put them into action. If a tree falls in the forest and no one's around to hear it, well, you know how that goes. Fortunately, neuroscience has provided clues to plan and execute communications that truly are engaging and effective. Jamie Barnes, a communication expert and my colleague at Workforce Communication, is going to join us today to discuss how to create communications that get the attention of your workforce and make them more likely to retain what they learn and act on it. Specifically, we'll talk about the AGES model from neuroscience, which was developed by the Neuroleadership Institute, and we'll provide practical tips for implementing each of its four components. Jamie studied behavior change with behavioral scientist B.J. Fogg, and she previously joined us in episode 183 to talk about the Fogg behavioral model to drive change. And she also studied the neuroscience of learning with the Neural Leadership Institute. And today she'll share some of what she learned there uh, and how we've applied it with our clients. Jamie Barnes, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Hi, Jesse. Jamie, what first caught your attention with neuroscience, the Neural Leadership Institute, and the AGES model? Why, are those, why did those even get on your radar screen? Well, you know, as workforce communicators, everything we do is about engaging the audience. Additionally, organizations, employees are really in a, a time of chronic change. Change fatigue, learning fatigue is, is a real challenge. And so the Neural Leadership Institute. It's it's run by scientists and researchers, and they combine the neuroscience with organizational and leadership research that help organizations with a lot of the the challenges they're going through in in leading and culture, diversity, inclusion, learning. So this brain-based behavior science is is really helpful when we design communication strategies, whether it's the graphic approach or um, the cadence of a campaign. It's all based on elements we know work. It's been tested 
in a lab on actual brains. So we can communicate in a way that's going to optimize the brain's ability to learn and recall the information. So I usually think of neuroscience, I know it's a lot more complicated than this, but whenever anybody says, what the heck is neuroscience? I always start them with the idea that where um, when you they hook you up to one of those like a brain mapping machines and the and when they are um, when there's some activity that's happening and it lights up a certain part of your brain and that was sort of the some of the initial stuff that made neuroscience possible when when you could do something and see that it was actually lighting up different parts of your brain it actually gave something measurable. Uh, in terms of what what works with the brain versus just guessing on everything. Am I describing that correctly for the lay person? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so just like you were saying, when they're testing these issues of learning and memory and recalling, that's the hippocampus. So that's the area of your brain in the center of your brain that would light up um, when they're testing people with learning and recall. And the other part of the brain that I hear a lot about is the amygdala, which is uh, like the part uh, that's your reflex, your first reaction to something. And so I imagine that that's going to come into play too. It's like when we're talking about what gets people's attention, what's going to catch their attention first, it's often the uh, amygdala. And so we're going to be, we need to, we do need to catch their attention if we're trying to communicate or teach something or influence them, but we need to get it into their hippocampus part of their brain where it actually sticks. Yeah, so the amygdala, we we will talk about the amygdala in a little bit because the amygdala is um, related, it senses emotion. And so when your brain senses emotion, the amygdala is what triggers the hippocampus and says, hey, we need to remember this. This is a memory that we want to keep. And so the amygdala is important. And so there are actual strategies we use when communicating that that help. But in the meantime, so that's that's getting attention. But, you know, anyone who's scrolled through Instagram for a half an hour, everything, every second gets your attention. But how do you make an impact that's going to stick? So you kind of need to try and include um, all elements of the ages model if you're trying to get something to stick. So the Neural Leadership Institute takes brain-based science, neuroscience, and is trying to solve business problems, leadership problems, organizational challenges. And so one of them is communication and learning. And the specific model that we're talking about today to tackle that is the AGES model. A-G-E-S, AGES. So we're designing communication so that we're creating optimal conditions for the hippocampus to remember and recall. You're essentially wiring the brain to remember um, by establishing that web of connections. So NLI, or the Neuroleadership Institute, has identified these four big drivers for creating memories or encoding memories on the brain. And it's um, the ages, so it's attention generation, emotion, and spacing. Hmm. And so at a high level, the learner needs to be paying a sufficient amount of attention. Um, The learner needs to be able to generate their own connections to the content. Um, There needs to be a moderate amount of emotion, and they need to have an opportunity to come back to the information regularly, Um, spacing that prompts them to recall, recall the learning. Hmm. Okay. So that's that this you definitely have interest peaked here. So break down attention. What what are some tips about helping the, the audience or the learner to pay attention to the material? 
we all know that attention spans are limited and they're, they're getting more limited every day, it seems like. In a live presentation, people typically have about 15 to 20 minutes of attention to give before their mind starts to wander or they lose interest. Now, we know in printed communications, we have a fraction of that level of attention. And so the information that, that you're providing, whether it's a, it's a training or whether it's print or electronic communications, it needs to be presented um, with breaks for the, for the brain to process the information. And so in a live presentation, that might mean, you know, stopping so learners can ask questions or discuss content among themselves. But in print or electronic media, we tend to use the layout or graphic design. All of the elements, the simple sentences, the short paragraphs, the catchy headlines, the bullets, all of these ways that we chunk and design the information, it's not just to be pretty. I mean, those, I'm sure you've heard white space, white space, we need more white space. Well, well, that's not just because I want it to look pretty. <laughs> it's because it's that white space that's going to allow the brain a pause to process what we're saying. So um, those design elements are what help help the brain do that. And then there's one other interesting point that um, is, a, is a little less related to communications, but um, is an interesting tidbit is that NLI tested multitaskers. And it has an in, indeed been proven that multitasking is detrimental to productivity, detrimental to learning. Hmm. And when they tested these people, multitaskers always report that they're more productive or more efficient. But when they were tested on learning and recalling, they were they consistently underperformed. So, you know, you think you're, you're being more productive if you're multitasking, but you're really better off just focusing on one thing at a time. And the reason being, just to geek out on the science again for a second, is that um, everything we do is a neuron connection. And so every neuron has multiple connections going from it. And we're establishing highways. Some are side streets, some are super highways. And so the stronger the path, the stronger the highway that you're creating, the easier it is to do a task. And so when you're focused, you're creating a path that's more well-traveled. Therefore, the task is easier to do. Whereas you're constant, if you're constantly splitting your attention, you have weak neuron paths that then make you less efficient. And it's just such a common myth that when people think that they're multitasking, they're being more productive. I suppose we all do it. I mean, I, it's so hard sometimes to be in a meeting or on a conference call and not, and not start checking your email at any time the meeting gets slow or you just you get distracted by some thought like yeah I do have that person who's been supposed to send me such and such and that's usually an indicator your presenter should have given you a break <laughs> by now <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it is interesting that people think they're being more productive when they multitask but people of all ages when actually it's tested they're not they they underperform um, your brain act cannot actually do two things at once. You're actually going, you, you're literally doing one thing at a time. You're just going back and forth between the two. And that's causing those those breaks in attention that actually make you underperform and, and make you actually appear stupider <laughs> to other people in most situations because you're usually a half sentence behind them even if you don't realize it. Yeah, and I'm I'm one that I actually don't, 
unless it's it's a really busy time, I actually don't struggle with it that much. I am a person who, if I'm working on drafting a document, I'm not replying to email. And so if I don't reply to an email for a few hours, I'm okay with that. And a lot of, I know a lot of people struggle with that. I've had plenty of colleagues who feel the need to reply to emails while we're sitting there having a meeting or answer a call while we're having a conversation. And it's so common and people think it's productive and people think it, it looks, makes them look a certain way, but the actuality is that they're probably doing more harm than good. So break up the content, whether it's um, pausing or taking a break in a live presentation or chunking up content, keeping paragraphs short, sentences simple, um, and uh, bullet, using bullets and white space. And catchy headlines is a big thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it always has been, like in the world of advertising, that's always been important. But today, it's more important than ever because people have so much content to choose from. And uh, almost every client that we work with is struggling with just getting people to pay attention to what the organization feels is important content because there's, there's just so much for people to choose from. What's going to catch their attention? Are they going to look at something that's on their, um, you know, the latest text that popped up on their phone or are they actually going to read the 15 emails you sent them? And if so, what, you know, which of those emails... Uh, have a subject that's really going going to seem important to them. Absolutely. I think of this in a couple ways. One, social media is probably my biggest influencer for headlines. And I'll go as far as the client lets me because that's the content people are used to consuming. And that's who organizations are competing with for attention. Um, And so the headlines we write need to be um, modern and use the same kind of marketing science as advertisers. And that's a whole other show as how to write a good headline. But um, other reasons that are a little more related to what we do specifically in workforce communications is that often we're dealing with, um, we're, we're trying to distill complicated concepts into something that's a little easier to understand and act upon. And um, by chunking it up into small paragraphs made of simple sentences with headlines that are not only catchy but can tell the story through skimming is going to help. So if I've got you know, one page, whether it's electronically or in a newsletter, I've got, I've got an article that's one page. Someone should be able to understand the introduction, beginning, middle, end, and conclusion based on those five headlines, especially when we're dealing with a little bit more technical or detailed information, say in regards to a health plan. An employee will be able to skim the information for what's immediately interesting to them or relevant to them. They may not care about the deductible. They already know that. They may not care about eligibility. They already know that. But, oh, they do care how prescription drug is changing because of whatever reason. So to be able to skim the story through headlines is also really important. I remember when I first started writing like that and I had a manager who read a newsletter I had written and it was written like this. And she said, this reads like a reader's digest. And she had every intention of insulting me, but I felt so flattered. (laughs) Mission accomplished because, 
you know, in, in an old timey way, but that's what people are going to read. You know, they're going to read their Facebook feed. They're not going to read a benefits brochure. So, so the more that I can in a helpful and accurate way emulate that style, I have a better chance of engaging the employee. I think that's a great tip to learn from social media, whether it's what's showing up in your Facebook feed or Twitter feed or on um, popular blog uh, websites and news aggregators. Besides the headlines, it's the often the graphic that pulls people in. Um, and I don't have the statistic in front of me, but I know on um, it's something like if you have a something in your Facebook feed that has an image it's like three to five times as likely that you're going to read that. So anytime a, an organization is doing some kind of content and they're not using images to their advantage to catch people's attention, um, they're, they're just right, right off the bat, they're whacking it. Like only, a th- only 20 to 30% of people who otherwise might have looked at it are going to look at it and view it as important because it's not just do they notice it, but do they consider it important and images drives that. There is so much I could say about images. That's a whole other show. <laughs> yep. But um, a couple things top of mind is 30% of our brain power is made up of processing visuals. So seeing it, interpreting it, processing it. 30% of our brain power is made up through what we see visually. That's a huge statistic. It takes up more brain power than anything else. And so um, that's important to note. And then, you know, related to our ages model here, when it comes to emotions and um, some of the things we'll talk about later, generation, when you can evoke emotion, like we were talking about earlier through the amygdala, um, it helps get your message across. And images are often the easiest, fastest, more most impactful way to do that. And to your stat about social media, it's a it's a circle, right? So so people pay more attention to images because it's there it's because it's easier. So marketers or bloggers, whomever, are providing more images. So people want more images, they're more accustomed to images than words. Now only if stock photo sites could up their game a thousand percent, <laughs> it'd be a little easier for us and less time consuming to find those great images. But yeah, using images is definitely a quick win. Be really careful about it. I mean, there's lots of things to be cognizant. Definitely talk to your, your communicator um, when, when dealing with images, even if you have a graphic designer, you'll want to engage a communicator when, when dealing with images, there's a lot to take into consideration when choosing images. Yes. So we've been talking about attention, the attention part of the ages model. The G stands for generation. So that, that was a little bit trickier to understand uh, on face, face value. Yeah, and NLI goes into a bunch of science, which which I won't do here. There's really just a few key takeaways, and and the thing is, is that um, you want your learner or employee or audience to have an opportunity to create their own connection with the new idea. Um, they'll the retention is improved because it takes effort to generate your own ideas versus reading someone else's or hearing it presented, and so. One of the most powerful ways um, to prompt that is um, 
by helping your audience uh, connect it to themselves. And in communications, we throw around with them a lot. What's in it for me? That's kind of often my key driver. Who's my audience and what what's there with them? Because that's going to immediately establish those neurons, those connections that are going to connect my concept to something they care about. They're, they're committed to it. And another one I really like is we're social animals. And so a lot of neuron connections fire up when we think about our role in a community. And so when you frame things in the context of the team and the company and your contribution, that really helps people establish a connection, a greater connection. And then the other, the third one that NLI um, calls out is the, the aha moment. So when a learner has their own revelation, when they've had space to generate an insight, um, they're more likely to retain information for, for a longer period of time. And so designing your communications in a way that allows your audience to generate their own insights, um, things like asking questions, taking polls, guided reflections, um, you know, explaining the idea to another person. Um, it, all of these things are ways to encourage the learner to discover an answer on their own. This, uh, we often also talk about owner, ownership, where when someone thinks it's their own idea, they care about it more, they own it more. And all of these generation events brings ownership into play. So if you're having an aha and, and the, oh, I see how this connects with what I want to do, uh, that they're, they're suddenly owning it. They care about it more. They're going to pay more attention. They're going to remember it better. Even when, it, when it's just um, the whiff them, when you see a headline and you think, oh, what that, that's saying hey, here's eight ways to reduce stress. Even just that moment, you're applying it to yourself. As you said, there's this whiff. And even before you start reading the article, they're thinking, how can I apply that? There's something in here that I need. And then they're primed right from the start to own what you're going to tell them. It's so much better than a, a headline or a video or a, a, the, where the topic is something like everything about stress. You know, it's some, some general learn about stress today but if it's eight ways to <laughs> no, yeah eight ways to reduce stress that's got whiff them here's something i can get out of it and i'm primed to generate connections between myself and this idea very important yeah i love that i love the point you make about ownership yeah so the e in ages is emotions tell us about that yeah, so we've touched on it a lot um, already. And so memory and emotion are really deeply linked. And the amygdala is is the part of your brain that's activated um, with emotion. And it signals the hip, hippocampus that, hey, this is important. We need to remember this. And so when you can apply a, a moderate amount of emotion to a message um, so that it registers but not distracts, um, or detracts, uh, the neurons of the brain are going to act together to imprint that information. Um, it also helps, like we were saying, it helps for you to um, maintain your attention because you have a personal connection uh, to the content. The opposite can be true in that high emotion or chronic stress or excessive pressure can restrict an individual's learning potential. So, um, 
you know, we're familiar with some organizations that are in times of they've been in a couple years of big change. And so they need to have some patience um, with employees as they navigate um, in these times of high emotion and maybe a lot of stress and, and take extra precautions to communicate change and, and guide learning in ways that really try and reduce that pressure and stress. So emotions, uh, on the one hand, be careful, be mindful if there's negative emotion or chronic stress or pressure that can get in the way of people retaining what you want them to learn from this. And on the flip side, use emotion to advantage because people are going to pay attention and they're going to remember more things where they have an emotional connection. So it's we've talked a bit about photos, using photos. Telling stories is a great way. Uh, we're nat- naturally wired to listen to stories and care about stories. And so just make sure that the stories are actually telling a story with real people in them and real things happening that you'd care about and and having a a point that you'd care about. But people are naturally going to pay more attention if, let's say, it's a video that tells a story or it could be something in print um, or multimedia that tells a story. Any other ways that we can use emotions to um, put this ages model into practice? That sense of purpose in the work we do. Establish that emotional connection as often as possible through evoking a sense of greater purpose. That's really what's going to energize employees and connect them to the content. Um, That's a big trend I see. Yeah, that's right. Connecting the organization's long-term purpose. How are we making a difference in the world? How is your personal work making a difference in the world? How does this change initiative going to affect that long-term purpose or help, help us make a difference? Yeah, that's a great point. Emotions. Okay. And then the last part in ages model is the S for spacing. Spacing. I giggle because I, I think you, you might agree. This is, this is probably top three of one of the things that we struggle with with clients is that just commuting once, communicating once, or communicating five times in two weeks is probably not going to accomplish what you want to accomplish. And there's actually brain science behind that. Um, The brain needs to have opportunities to recall the information. Memories, they're not like documents. You don't like store them in the computer and bring it up whenever you need it. You have to build it over time. And so um, in communications, I refer to it as the cadence. And so communicating about something once or twice doesn't give the brain opportunity to to build that memory and recall that memory. It's the ongoing communications through multiple channels that are going to capture attention. So giving multiple opportunities, present that information for employees to process it, and then their brain is going to recall, be prompted to recall the information and form the memory. A lot of the things that we're talking about in the ages model – are counterintuitive for many business leaders, whether it's, hey, Mm -hmm. let's just communicate once really well and hope that's enough, or let's just focus on the logic, just present the facts and the numbers, and that's all people need to know. Uh, No, they need the emotion. They need to know the why. Why is this important? um, Why is the change important? What's the long-term purpose for this? And they need to hear things at least what would you say, at least three times? I guess that's at a minimum is what I usually tell clients, at least three times. 
I'm going to say it a third time right now. I usually tell them three times. (laughs) (laughs) If you brought someone like the Neuroleadership Institute into your organization to implement a big change in initiative, it's actually more than that. Um, but I think depending on what you're trying to accomplish, how complicated it is, um, yeah, three, three to five. Another thing that you're saying about being counterintuitive is being brief. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes um, our clients are like, well, let me give the audience all the information that I have so they can feel equipped to do what they need to do. And the brain science tells us that it does the opposite. When you present people with too much information all at once, they'll tune out or they'll feel confused or they'll feel overwhelmed. And um, it's really much more productive to communicate in, in small bits and maybe keep the keep the one thing with all the details off someplace else, either electronically or a big book or whatever your situation is. But really um, communicating small and succinct is, is your best bet. The other, other part about part spacing about- is you may need to communicate on, on more than one channel, you mean, uh, what we would call multi-channel. So it just means more than one way. And as you said, maybe... The details are all in one spot, but you're using, let's say, posters and social media and blog articles and a video to get their attention Um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, more old fashioned communications like email or mailers to the home. Some things that catch their attention and direct them where to get more information, but at least get the, the high level messaging to them using multiple channels so they can hear it more than one time, but also... So they don't miss it. A lot of times when you just focus on a single way to communicate, you miss a lot of people that aren't even paying attention to that. Um, a classic example is if you're communicating everything be through email, but you have a lot of um, uh, hourly workers, a lot of non-office workers that aren't that barely ever uh, may not check it very very frequently. Well, absolutely. And that's where you can play with like I had a client this year who they always sent out a I sent a guide to the homes as a, a retail client. So they don't have a lot of folks sitting on email all day. And so they sent a booklet to the homes and then they had a, a big benefits booklet with all the details. And right away I was able to convince them how designing that to the home booklet more like a branding opportunity, more like an advertisement. They were putting some new plans in place and look at these great new plans. It had bright design. It was very engaging. And so we were able to get people interested and invested by being brief and succinct and and pretty, which is code for the brain likes it and looks at it and doesn't throw it in the garbage. And so people then went online to access the details they needed. But there are certain instances where you should focus more on that, that advertising your subject, quote unquote, advertising your subject, because that's what's going to get interest. And if you don't get people interested, if you don't get people's attention, they're not going to go get that more information. Hmm. So, Jamie, you've been studying uh, the AGES model and other research from the Neuroleadership Institute for quite a while. Where can people find out more about it? If they've listened to this and they're, this sounds great and they'd like to learn more on the neuroscience, how neuroscience can be applied to these type of topics, 
neuroleadership.org is a great place to start. Um, they do an annual uh, conference each year that would knock your socks off. So check that out. Yes. And we'll put the links in our show notes to this episode to the Neuroleadership Institute, as well as to their annual conference, the Neuroleadership Summit. Jamie, where can people stay uh, in touch with you and, and on what you're learning and sharing about these days? Well, I hope everybody's following us, Workforce Communication, on LinkedIn. And you can follow me on LinkedIn at Jamie Barnes. I'd love to keep in touch with everyone. Jamie, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I think really it just boils down to telling a compelling story. Uh, Keep it simple. Frame it so it piques the interest of employees and it creates a we. Rather than the, the company is doing this or you must do that, we're going to embark on this initiative together. Here's why we're doing it, and this is how it's going to benefit all of us. And when you do it that way, employees can really get on board, and they're connected. They're, you have their attention. They're connected to the ideal and ready to succeed together. Jamie, love having you back on the show. Thanks for joining us again. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. All right, Engagers, check out our show notes for this episode for links to the Neuroleadership Institute, their Neuroleadership Summit, and the other information that Jamie shared. You can find that at our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 186 as in episode 186. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We are a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-sides and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results. In several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, James Marler, our sound engineer, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. engagers.